wondered what it's like to face the complex world of disability insurance claims as a physician? Meet Edward Dabdaub, the founding attorney at Dabdaub Law Firm. Eddie began his legal career working as a law clerk during law school at a disability insurance firm, and he would go on to build his own law firm for the sole purpose of handling disability insurance claims. He spent his entire legal career helping people get paid disability insurance benefits. Today, his firm represents all types of physicians across the country. Eddie specializes in physician disability insurance claims, appeals, and litigation. Eddie has represented many physicians and gained a deep understanding of the occupational duties of various medical specialties, and he's applied that knowledge to successfully obtain disability insurance benefits on behalf of physicians. He recently won a case on behalf of a liver transplant surgeon who had own occupation disability insurance. After suffering a fall, the doctor could no longer perform liver transplant, but continued to perform other types of surgeries. His insurance company denied his total disability claim on the grounds that he had more than one occupation, because prior to his disability, he performed other types of surgeries when not doing liver transplants. Eddie successfully argued before the federal court that his occupation was that of a liver transplant surgeon. Once he became unable to perform liver transplant, he was totally disabled from his own occupation despite continuing to do other surgeries. With experience litigating in both federal and state courts, Edward Dabdaub is a true hero for those seeking the disability insurance benefits they deserve. So if you or someone you know is navigating the challenging world of disability insurance, don't miss the opportunity to connect with Edward Dabdaub and his dedicated team at Dabdaub Law Firm. They've got your back. Stay tuned for another fascinating episode of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And remember, when life throws its toughest challenges your way, Edward Dabdaub and his firm are here to fight for your rights. Visit longtermdisability.net to learn more. How do you know when you're experiencing burnout? How can you dig yourself out of a hole when you don't even realize you're in one? Stay tuned and find out. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Sapna Shah-Hawk. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician, and she is Kansas. We're actually recording this on the heels of the Kansas Bluegrass Festival, born and raised in Kansas, med school and residency at University of Kansas, and now practicing in Winfield, Kansas. Again, she is Kansas. After experiencing burnout herself and watching other physician colleagues burn out, it became a passion of hers to look into different aspects of burnout. Burnout. She even wrote a book, Thriving, sorry, she wrote for the book, Thriving After Burnout, speaks on the topic, and hosts the Worthy Physician Podcast. So once again, Dr. Sapna Shah-Hawk, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate being here. So your podcast is called The Worthy Physician. So let's start with that. What is a worthy physician? I don't want to know what an unworthy physician is. I don't, we're, gonna, we're not going to go down that dark path. But what is a worthy physician? Any physician that is alive and well. When I say alive and well, I mean alive and breathing. So just by being uh, alive, right? Just by being alive, we're worthy. And I think that a lot of times that, that we overlook that part that we're human. 
We don't have to be perfect, but we are worthy in spite of our imperfections. Got it. So we tend to beat ourselves up. Like, I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not giving as much as I should. I'm not worthy of the responsibilities that have been bestowed on me. So just the fact that we are showing up as physicians is what makes us worthy. I mean, and we just put the physician aside. The fact that we're human showing up, trying to do the best that we can every day, that makes us worthy right there. So then is there anyone that is unworthy? Or are you just saying like everyone who is currently on this earth, not to say that those who have passed are now unworthy, what you're saying is like, let's open this up and everyone is really worthy of love. So expand on that. Exactly. You're going down that right path that we don't have to be perfect to be worthy of love, of happiness, of being comfortable in our own skin, being our authentic selves. Just by being human and showing up, that makes us worthy. Let's put aside the perfectionism that we're taught. Let's put aside the drinking that cup of Kool-Aid. Just by being human and showing up, that's it. That's all you need to be to be worthy of love, affection, safety, psychological safety, all of the above. You contributed to the book Thriving After Burnout, which is about female physicians who did just that. So tell me about your journey that you contributed to the book. I've been through burnout twice in 2016 and 2019, or sorry, 2019 slash 2020. Did not have the verbiage for it. And it really wasn't until my best friend from medical school and residency died from suicide in 2019 in her office that really made me start reading. And that's where I came across the verbiage of burnout. That's when I came across the fact that the physician suicide rate is much higher than the national average. It's probably the highest among professions in general, and that female physicians are more likely to die from suicide than their male counterparts. Do you want to elaborate a little more about your journey? So that opened your eyes to what was going on, and you said you didn't have the verbiage at the time, so it kind of enlightened you into like the fact that it was so common. Take us a little further down your journey. I love being a physician. I don't think that there's a better profession out there. It really is a beautiful profession and it has its dark side. When I came out of residency and I was doing inpatient, outpatient, and on the weekends when I was on call, I was supposed to, I don't mind going in. That's what I signed up for. But when I'm not on call and it's, I still got called. And there was this culture of always saying yes. When I was on vacation, when I had a sick family member. It was very difficult to not get called or find somebody to cover for me so I could go visit that sick family member who happened to be my mom. There was a lot of, there was some pushback of, well, you know, X, Y, and Z. And for me, when I don't have that time away with myself or my family or to do things outside of medicine, because it's not something I eat, sleep, and breathe. I like doing other things that I have various interests, just like I think many humans do. So I came. I would start coming home and um, I would want to be isolated for about half an hour to an hour. Really would not want to, I really wouldn't even want to talk to my dogs. And, you know, dogs are pretty... Yeah, they're good listeners. They're great listeners. They raise an eyebrow, make it look like they're listening and understand what you're saying. Then that eyebrow goes back down, they get back to pensive. It's great. But it's a problem when, you know, I don't even want to do that. Definitely had trouble sleeping, became pretty irritable. And that's, that's honestly, again, that's contra 
contradictory to my nature. So when did you realize that it was burnout that you were experiencing and not, I mean, it sounds like it could be a whole host of other things. That's a great question. And I, I didn't have that verbiage until, you know, 2019, 2020, when I started reading about all this. So I think a lot of it was hindsight. I do think a lot of it was hindsight. But then how did you dig yourself out of there? Like you're, it sounds like you're in a pretty deep, dark hole. It was one of, gosh, something has got to change. And my mom becoming ill really was a uh, a, a focal point for me. Yeah. It, it's, it, if I can't be there for my family, then something's got to change. So I ended up taking a, I ended up switching positions to where it was outpatient only and where I could spend more time with my family. So the book is thriving after burnout. So it sounds like you switched some things up to, to kind of get you out of that hole. But how did you get to thriving? If that's even where you are. I would say I'm thriving. I mean, life is chaotic. Adulting is hard, but, you know, I'm thriving. So when Dr. Bicker died from suicide in 2019, I really stopped and asked myself, what in the heck am I doing? Right? Why am I, don't mind working hard, but is this truly what I can see myself doing for the next 30, 40 years? And the answer was no. With a small family and again, multiple interests outside of medicine, mom's health declining, I still needed more time to do what was important to me. And so I decided to, okay, going to bring my kids back to small town USA, Winfield, raise them here, and work part-time. And for me, that's what has helped me thrive is because for me, I can balance family and work. When I'm at work, I'm a physician. When I'm at home, I'm just me. We goof off. I'm just like any other parent. That's so you're able to separate. You're able to turn off. You're able to, whereas before when you were doing, it sounds like hospitalist, you were basically needed to be available or they were under the impression that you were to be available 24-7. So it was impossible to unwind, unplug. But now, because you're on when you're seeing patients, and then at the end of the day, you're not on, you're able to create a boundary. Correct. And for me, that was the most important part. What do you tell to physicians that are in a similar situation to you when you were in that deep, dark hole? Right? What do you tell the physicians that are in the throes of burnout? It's hard to recognize. I mean, it's really hard to recognize, right? It's just stress. I mean, up until 29, I would say 2019, I honestly just chalked it up to stress and live and learn, live and learn. And I was actually doing inpatient, outpatient, both. So traditionalist or comprehensivist. What I tell people is, hey, you know what? Look at what you need, what you need as far as, I mean, financially, what do you need to support your family? What do you need to support you? Whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, what do those hours look like? And start to define that. And if you can't define that, then sit down and really ask yourself, what's important to you? Like, what's important to you as far as core values? Authentically, what is important to you as far as, do you want to stay in medicine? Do you want to pivot? And if you want to do something else, then what, what is that something else? But you really have to look at what you want. I think those are the biggest questions. And then start outlining what can you tackle first? 
So it sounds like a part of your burnout was a lack of autonomy. If you are a physician who owns the practice and you're like, I am spreading myself too thin. I can't take care of my mother. I can't even find time to visit her because I've got all this on me with my practice. Clearly, I need to offload some of this. I'm going to hire a part-timer. I'm going to hire a physician extender. I'm going to offload some of this work. Like, okay, because you have the autonomy to do that. But you were in a position where there was no autonomy and their expectation was that you were just at their beck and call. How did we get here as a profession where that is a, a position that we can put ourselves in? in? In other podcasts, I've talked to other guests and, and you know, it, it seems like when we were in high school, when we were in college, like we were towards the top, we had to do well, right? We were leaders. And then we went to med school and came out the other side, and now we're the labor, not the management. So how did we end up in this position where we're the labor and not the management? It was mostly the culture among the physicians. I'll tell you that much. I, I don't mind working hard, right? None of us graduated from medical school and did residency because, of, because we're lazy. So it's not lack of drive. But it's the problem with the lack of respect. Being the new kid on the block, I was expected to say yes to everything. And when I tried to say no, it was, oh, well, you don't like to work. Now, that's not, the, that's not the truth. I don't mind working. But the problem is that even a car needs to rest. You need to turn off your computer. You need to recharge your phone because, well, that's equivalent to sleep for a human. And if I'm getting woken up every night or every other night or if I'm supposed to be off that weekend and I'm getting called in because you can't manage your patient, well, then that's on you, not on me. But the truth of the matter is that I wanted to do what's right for the patient. So if I knew I had that skill set, I was going to go in and, and I just did it until I couldn't do it anymore. So part of that was also the culture. And that's not a culture that we know is sustainable. That has definitely changed. And there are other systems in place now. I'm back to where I originally started. So, but now we have a hospitalist team. Now we have a hospitalist team. And if they're not going to take the patient because of whatever reason, there's a good reason why. I mean, these individuals have done inpatient. I've been removed from inpatient for since 2016. So I would, if it were my family member, I would much rather they do the management than something that hasn't done outpatient or inpatient for several years. So I'm not the I'm not the answer. I can't be the answer to everybody's problem or issue or admission. Neither can anyone else. And there's a reason why we have a call system. But if that call system should also be that everybody has the same skills. So it sounds like and tell me if we're getting into the weeds too much and like, you know, divulging a little too much about what happened, because you might not be at liberty to say, but it sounds like you left. And the institution found a solution to that problem, which then allowed you to come back. That, that was a big part of it, yes. That was a big part of it. So how did that take place? Was it that like, you're like, this is my problem. This is why I can't work here anymore. I'm going to go work somewhere else. And then they solved the problem and invite, like, tell me what took place there. And this is where I'm not sure you're going to want to answer the question. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. When I couldn't be with my family at a crucial time. That was a big problem for me. 
right? That's a problem that I needed to solve. And my way to solve that was this is not fitting what where I am in life right now. So I'm going to I'm going to change my position. And that's exactly what I did. And I mean, I have been open that I can't do inpatient outpatient. I can't be on call 24-7 and not have any downtime. I have other obligations now. We actually parted amicably. I mean, I am grateful for what I learned, what to do and what not to do. And it wasn't necessarily the management. It was my coworkers, if you will. Again, there was a there was a difference. And I would also even go to the point of saying the fact that I think many of the outpatient physicians currently have a different outlook. Now you have more of a 50-50 mix versus I was one of two female physicians in the area at the time that I left. Maybe they were bringing two more on. I think that also throws into the mix what you're willing to do or not to do. Also, the age difference, right? I'm 41. You're talking 10 years ago when I started, I was 31. My Where I was in life was different. How much I could put into a career and be okay with being woken up in the middle of the night. That's not some, I'm going to be woken up for a very different reason now. And it's going to be <laughs> internal, not, 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 not work related. So, I mean, I think that we also, that also plays a big, a big role. Now, going forward, there was also, I think, a pull on other physicians where they were like, I, I don't want to keep doing this either. Right. Because it's either we do this or this, we have, this has to be a better way. They found a solution, which was a hospitalist program. It allows the hospitalist to be well up to date. Patients get great care inpatient. We can focus on outpatient and being readily available for our patients in the clinic. So far, I can see that I, I know I'm thriving. I know I'm thriving with that balance. So you mentioned the there used to be external reasons why you were being woken up and now there are internal reasons why. And I think earlier in the episode, we were able to hear some of those internal reasons why. Yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. This is the reality of our lives, right? Like right. We, don't, we don't have podcasting studios where we go to get away. And the, this is, we just have to find time in, you know, a couple moments away, hop on, hit record, hop off, go back to, go back to that work-life balance that we're going to be talking about. Right. Yes. I recorded an episode myself the other day and one of mine was just hollering. I'm usually, I usually record after they go to bed, but that particular day I was, he had just gotten home from school and there was just endless screaming. So let's talk about that healthy work-life balance because it sounds like it's fluid, right? Like when you were 31 and didn't have this, the family obligations that you do now, um, your work-life balance was different than it is now. Now, you know, that you have a lot more of those pulling at you. So for you, what is a healthy work-life balance as a parent so that we can be successful both as parents and professionals? I think it's, first off, I was giving myself that permission. And when Dr. Bicker died from suicide in 2019, and I keep referring back to that because it was one of those tragic but eye-opening moments, and it's more like, what in the heck am I doing? Right. So for me, I can always pick up, I can always increase my hours as the kids get older. But currently, for me, what 
work-life balance looks like is that I get to drop my kids off in the morning and I get to come home and have dinner with them every night. I get to put them to bed. I get to be able to go on field trips with them. And in the middle of the day, if I have to go pick up a sick kid, I can do that. And that's the beauty of living in a small town. Everything's close by. For me, working part-time, three and a half days to three days a week, that's what that looks like. So on the days when I have four days off in a row, guess what? We're going to goof off. And if the kids have a long weekend, we're going to get out of town, hopefully. Even if it's just narrow way, it's just something to go do something different and help to create those memories that I think you can't buy those. Those, are, those have to be created. And they can be so simple. They can be so simple. They can be, heck, a water day out in the middle of the yard or getting stuck in Santa Fe in the camper. But you make the best of it. You know, those are the memories that uh, I think, at least that's what that's what they talk about. Any any parting advice for our physician listeners that might be pre-burnout, post-burnout, mid-burnout, somewhere along that journey that you found yourself at all points? Any parting wisdom? Always know where you are on the spectrum of how much energy you really have to give. And if you need help, reach out because we can all be replaced at the drop of a hat at work. But we can't be replaced at home. We can't be replaced at home at all. Great advice. Great advice. So if people want to find you, want to find The Worthy Physician, where can we find you online? Literally theworthyphysician.com and the podcast is available on all platforms. Fantastic. Dr. Sapna Shah-Hawk, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Before we go, be sure to check out the incredible work of Edward Dabdab and Dabdab Law Firm. For more information and expert guidance on disability insurance claims, visit their website, longtermdisability.net. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please... Share it, or like it, or comment on a social media post, or write us a five-star review. Something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee, and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.